Welcome to Walking Truth. These are the Bible teachings of Pastor Michael Lenz, equipping you to reach out with God's truth to all people and how to apply that truth to today's issues, trends, and culture. Learn more about the program and our church when you visit walkintruth.com or download the Free Living Truth app. Now here's part two of Pastor Michael's teaching in Exodus 4, 18-31, called Obedience and Worship. Israel was not the first nation that was born. Abraham was not the first man that was born. When you get to Isaac and Jacob, Isaac is not the firstborn, Ishmael is. Jacob is not the firstborn, who is? Esau. So God is talking about rank, not birth order. And in the sense that Israel is God's firstborn, it means that God chose Israel with his special love. And we have been chosen by God for sonship. We are sons and daughters of the Most High God. Amen? Amen. God decided to give us his love. Not that we merited it, not that Israel was more numerous than other people or better than other people, but God decided to put his love on that people. But that choice was also that they would become a light to the nations. So you have been chosen to become a light to your friends and your family. You've been called into the kingdom to be a light, to be a city on a hill. More could be said, but the firstborn in the ancient world was one specially favored for the inheritance, and God is about to give Israel the promised land, the one who would represent the father in many ways as he came to maturity. I mentioned the buyback in Exodus 13. We'll study that later on. And here's the, the message you are to say, so I said to you, this is being stated in the past tense as, as though it's happened, but God is teaching Moses what to say, let my son go, that he may serve me, if you have an NIV, that he may worship me, but you have refused. ESV says, if you refuse to let him go, behold, I will kill your son, your firstborn. And so this is what really happened in uh, Egypt, they began to throw the Hebrew babies into the Nile, and they turned the Nile red with blood, and God was going to get a recompense. He was going to pay them back. And the final plague of the Exodus is the death of the firstborn of Egypt. And the way that you avoid that death is to have the blood of the lamb painted on your dwelling, which we'll get into it in Exodus chapter 12. And so he wasn't going to let the people go until finally God brought the 10th plague. And notice, let my son go that he may serve me. I almost envision God saying this to Satan of God's children. Let my son go, my daughter go, that they may serve me. When you get saved, it's not just about being delivered out of your sin, which is an amazing gift of God but it's that you may now serve the one you're supposed to serve. You served the devil for many, many years, and a lot of us could say, yeah, I did a pretty good job of doing that. Now I'm going to serve the one who deserves my obedience, who deserves my best, amen? Amen. Let my son go that he may serve me. He doesn't belong serving you, Pharaoh. You are to let him go. God is going to hit Pharaoh in the most sensitive spot you can imagine as his firstborn is dealt with. And now we come to this obscure 
weird <laughs> text. Now it came about at the lodging place on the way, that is to Egypt, that the Lord met him, we assume that's Moses, although his name is not there, and sought to put him to death. And all God's people said, say what? (laughs) Why do you meet this man at the burning bush, overcome all of his excuses and objections, Tell him that you're going to be with him. Give him marching orders. Tell him what to say. Tell him how it's going to go down. And then as he's on the way, try to kill him. That makes absolutely no sense to me and to many scholars. You could read chapters on this. What in the world is going on here? Well, I will tell you, this is without a doubt one of the most obscure and challenging passages of Scripture to interpret. We might ask some questions going in. Why would God seek to put him to death, a man he just commissioned to be the deliverer? What has Moses done to deserve such wrath or punishment? Why now? Why not earlier? We don't know. But now is the time for payday. And what we're going to find is that Moses has committed a sin of omission. He has omitted something extremely important And it's going to go right to the heart of his calling. And here's a lesson for us. When we sin against God, whether it's a sin of commission or omission, sometimes the consequences don't happen immediately. They did with other Old Testament and New Testament characters like Ananias and Sapphira. They lied about the sale of the land and God killed them on the spot. Can you imagine being part of that early church? Hey, you want to go to church on Sunday? I don't know. They just killed a couple of members uh, for lying about how much they give. I don't know if that applies to any of us, but anyway. Now, it says that he sought to put him to death. Obviously, God has pretty good aim. (laughs) In other words, if he wants to kill you, I think he could do it. Daniel 5.23 says that God holds our very life breath in his hand. So that's one that we should honor if he holds our life breath in his hand. To put it another way that might help us, the very next breath that you're about to breathe belongs to God because he made you. And so God, the, the scripture says, and some people believe that the one uh, that is God is seeking to put to death is Gershom, who is the firstborn, and firstborn permeates this complete text. But we think that's unlikely. Because in Israel, parents were responsible for circumcising their children, and you were supposed to circumcise all Hebrew males on what day? Day number eight. The eighth day of their life. I can't imagine God holding Gershom responsible for something Moses failed to do. Amen? It was Moses' job as the leader of that household. Imagine he's about to be the lawgiver. He's about to give ten commandments to the children of Israel. He's about to be uh, help them renew a covenant with God where they've been in Egypt for 400 years. And I think God is essentially saying to him, if you can't even keep the sign of the covenant that I gave to Abraham, how are you going to do this? How are you going to tell the people that I'm the lawgiver and they're to renew their covenant with me when you can't even circumcise your kid on the eighth day? 
Now, why did Moses not circumcise his child? We don't know, but there are some, there's some evidence that the Midianites, that is Zipporah that he married and Jethro, the father-in-law, that's the land that he sojourned in, didn't circumcise males until a few weeks before a wedding day. And all God's people said, <laughs> ouch, uh, anyway. Now, I've read a, a couple of different commentators on this, and there's not necessarily like, we, we know for sure maybe there was some practice. They say in Egypt, they did like a partial circumcision, but it was considered really like an affront uh, to Israel. So we're about to find out that there has been a lack of circumcision, and that is the problem. And God's about to lay the problem right at Moses' feet, literally. Now, let me draw a New Testament or a modern application. And I'm going to address the men. Your call is to lead your family towards obedience to Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen? And so our call is to teach the ones that we've been entrusted with to teach them the ways of God. And the modern equivalent, you could say, to circumcision is what? It's baptism. Now, we got to be obviously patient as parents and make sure that our kids are ready. And, you know, we could debate what the proper age is to be. But ultimately, we are to make sure that our kids understand the new covenant. The seal of the new covenant is baptism, but baptism doesn't save you. But my question would be this. If you're a Christian today and you have not been baptized, why not? I'm not saying that baptism saves you, but I'm asking the question why you haven't been obedient to a clear mandate to go and make disciples of all the nations and baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. In the evangelical church, we're really quick to try to de-emphasize baptism because we don't want people to think that the water saves them because it doesn't. But the fact that the church is to go into the water to symbolize the gospel is still very important. And Moses, for whatever reason, some believe that it was pressure from his father-in-law because they had a different view and they didn't uh, circumcise children. Some believe that it's pressure from his wife. Uh, We don't know for sure his reasons, but... God sought to kill Moses. (laughs) And you know what? God's seeking to kill you as well. You say, what? Well, he wants to kill the old you. You see, we have scriptures in the New Testament that say we're to die to the old self. We're to put to death the works of the flesh. You can read Romans chapter 6. We're to crucify the flesh, Galatians 5, 24 and 25. We're to let it die. We're to cut away. Here's the image. Cut away all that belongs to the flesh. We're not to walk in the flesh, but in the spirit. God is seeking to kill you too. (laughs) That is the old Michael Lance. That is, the old you must die. 
You'll hear more from Pastor Michael in a moment. Listen to our podcast mini-series, A Step Closer. In these series, Pastor Michael Lance and others on the Walk in Truth team discuss topics we face in our life from a Christian perspective. Our next series is called Trick or Treat, The Origins of Halloween. Some of the symbols that you see around you on this holiday, you'll see imagery of death, skeletons, skulls, black, all of this stuff ties to their thought that the veil was the thinnest on this night. And so they thought that somehow, if there was a chance to communicate with those who had moved on, those who had died, it would be on this night. You can listen to A Step Closer on walkintruth.com, or you can subscribe and follow Walk In Truth on your favorite podcast app, like Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and many more. We'd love to see who's listening, so please connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Just do a search for Walkin' Truth Show. Now, back to Pastor Michael Lance, right here on Walkin' Truth. God is seeking to kill you, too. <laughs> that is, the old Michael Lance. That is, the old you must die. I think you've come to realize that, those of you who've been walking with the Lord for a while, you have to present your members dead so you can be alive in the spirit. The flesh must die. You must cut away all the junk or let God cut it away. And this is where we struggle. If God wanted to kill Moses, he would have done it and Moses would have been dead. But the fact that he sought to kill him, I think, leaves room for mediation here. And that mediation, that help, is going to come from his wife. It says, then Sephora, her name means sparrow, took a flint, something like a sharp stone or a knife. She cut off her son's foreskin and threw it at Moses' feet. Wow. (laughs) This is an emergency circumcision. If I have ever heard about one, this is it. And uh, we have very little detail here, praise God. (laughs) Here's what we know. Zipporah cut in, (laughs) stepped in, pun intended, cut in, and she dealt with it. And she circumcised what appears to be the oldest son, the firstborn Gershom, and threw the foreskin at Moses' feet. Now, how did she know what was going on? Was Moses sick? Was he manifesting uh, signs that maybe he was on the verge of death? Was there some dark presence there? I don't know how she knew. But maybe they knew all along. Maybe it was a conversation that they had had multiple times. Maybe it was a debate they had in their marriage. I don't know all the dynamics of it, but Zipporah seems to know that Moses is about to die unless she steps in and does what's supposed to be done, which is a sign of the Abrahamic covenant. And it says if that child, that male child is not circumcised, he is cut off from his people. Cut off from the covenant. That is... That person is supposed to die 
if they don't obey the sign of the covenant of the Lord. And so she steps in and she says, you are indeed a bridegroom of blood to me. And I don't know exactly what she's saying. I don't know if she's expressing disgust because she doesn't agree with the timing of the procedure, so to speak. I don't know if there's some other message in there. But she says, you're a bridegroom of blood to me. I was reading one author and he says that we need to see in Zipporah's actions a picture of salvation because without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. This is one scholar. He says, God used this encounter on the road back to Egypt to teach Moses the basic requirements of salvation. Although Moses passed through the shadow of death, God never actually intended to kill him. The whole experience was a test. God was giving his prophet a firsthand experience of salvation. First, God showed Moses the wages of sin by placing him under his divine wrath. But then God's deadly wrath was turned aside or propitiated, uh, to use the, the proper term for it, the blood by the blood in this case of circumcision. Blood is mentioned specifically because in order to be delivered from death, Moses had to be touched by the blood of a sacrifice and therefore thereby identified with it. Moses was saved from God's wrath by the shed blood of a substitute. The shedding of blood via an act of circumcision averts divine wrath, as does the touching of the blood to the Hebrews' houses in Egypt during the night of that first Passover. And so this is obviously, you know, there's some deep things to consider here. But in one sense, I was thinking that Jesus is our bridegroom, and to us, in one sense, he's a bridegroom of blood. And that might seem a bit bizarre to some of us, but, you know, if you read the gospel accounts of the death of Jesus Christ, it is a bloody disaster, And in fact, the whole sacrificial system of which Moses will get the prescription of the tabernacle and the clothing of the priests and how the sacrifices are to be done, which are in the first five books that he pens, are all about the blood of an innocent victim covering the the sin of those who have sinned against God. And then ultimately, the fulfillment of all of that system will be realized in the coming Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The number eight, you're to circumcise your children on the eighth day is a number of new beginnings in the Bible. Moses was about to begin a ministry as a deliverer and a lawgiver, but how could he do that if he could not even obey the Abrahamic covenant? And how can you and I, modern application, go to our friends and family and say to them, this is what you need to do if we ourselves can even do the basic things of the Christian life. And I don't have to tell you, brethren, of the sad failures coming to light of leader after leader who are falling by the wayside in the modern evangelical church. It is tragic. And it is a warning to anyone who would say to the Lord, here I am, send me, to make sure that we walk in humility and dependence on the Lord because the devil is on the prowl. And there are spiritual leaders in our land falling by the wayside left 
and write at breakneck speed. I'll tell you what, it is sobering for me to watch what is happening. I stood at this pulpit not that long ago and talked about the leadership and accolades of Ravi Zacharias, only to now find out that stories that have been verified are showing that he had a side of his life that was really egregious and sinful and hurt a lot of people. And there are a lot of people who are now devastated. And I will tell you this, any person who's going to stand up and talk about the fall of another will say it hopefully with fear and trepidation because we could all fall on our face in a microsecond. And we have to walk in humility. And I think Moses is being taught a lesson that we all need to hear. I need to hear it, and it's this. You better cut away every part of the flesh If you're going to be a vessel for me, it needs to go. Any overt disobedience in your life, anything that you've omitted that you know you need to do to make sure that you're a pure vessel for me, do it now because I'm sending you to Egypt to be a deliverer, but I need you to be a pure vessel. You're not going to be a perfect vessel, but there should be no overt, unrepentant sin in your life. You've been listening to Obedience and Worship, Part 2 on Walk in Truth. That's Pastor Michael's teaching in Exodus 4, 18-31. And as always, if you missed any part of today's program, you can listen to Walk in Truth on our free Living Truth app or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, if you're having a hard time and need someone to talk to, or maybe you don't even feel like talking, but you could use some prayer, we have pastors on staff that would love to do that with you. You can call Walk in Truth Tuesdays through Fridays during daytime hours at 844-48-TRUTH. That's 844-48-TRUTH. 844-48-TRUTH. Now here's Pastor Michael with a final word. Well, maybe you would say, I feel like God is telling me that he sees my pain. I feel a bit ignored. And, you know, maybe... uh people around me or maybe even my inner voice or maybe even my friends are telling me, you know, just pretty much just uh, suck it up, man. (laughs) And, you know, there are times perhaps when that is not bad advice. You know, I just need to get over it and get moving. But when you're in pain, it is hard and it, it can, you can feel alone. You can feel like nobody understands. Does God understand my pain? And yes, he does. In fact, Jesus entered into my pain. You know, when I think about the gospel of Jesus Christ, I think about a God who entered into our pain, bore our sorrows, moved among us, dealt with temptation, dealt with betrayal, dealt with, you know, fickleness, dealt with misunderstanding, and then was crucified as a capital criminal, though totally innocent. He knows about your pain. And when you go to your high priest and you pray, I want you to understand or just remember that he is the glorified, resurrected Christ who many believe still bears the scars in his hands and his feet and his side because he did it in his resurrection body. He knows our pain. And there are beautiful psalms like Psalm 42 that I would encourage you to read. 
Psalm 46 is beautiful, so many, that will remind us that God cares about our pain. We care about you, and if you need someone to talk to or pray with, we've been telling you about a number available to you, and that would get you to our ministry, 844-48-TRUTH. 844-48-TRUTH. Maybe you have the pain of guilt right now because you've not become a Christian and you've not had the burden of your sin lifted. You know, Jesus is a prayer away, but he's going to ask you to repent of your sin and make him not just Savior, but Lord of your life. You can have a new beginning. You can have that burden lifted, that guilt lifted. You can know you're going to go to heaven. You need to trust in the finished work of Christ. Cry out to him today. Tell him, I repent, Lord. I'm sorry. Please forgive my sin. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for the resurrection. You know, anyone who comes to him, he won't cast you out. He loves you. That's why he died on the cross for you. And so reach out to him through prayer and let us know that you did by connecting with us at walkintruth.com. That's walkintruth.com. See you tomorrow. And don't forget that Walk in Truth is a listener-supported ministry. Your financial partnership helps us broadcast on this station, provide the podcast for free, all to help more people like you dive deeper into the Word of God and apply it to their life. Please consider becoming a Walk in Truth monthly partner of at least $5 a month, or you can give a one-time gift. Visit walkintruth.com to give. And join us tomorrow for part three of Pastor Michael's teaching in Exodus 4, 18-31, called Obedience and Worship. I'm Mike Massaro. Thanks for listening to Walk in Truth. Our goal is to equip you to reach out with God's truth to all people.